I have uh, never been to New Orleans, but I feel a little bit like I went there this morning. And uh, actually, I'm headed there in a few weeks. The, the five families that are making an intentional move into North Chicago uh, right now are all going down to New Orleans to uh, attend the CCDA, the Christian Community Development Association's annual meeting. Uh, I'm going down with them, so um, more of the same, I'm sure, but that'll be great. I want to start by saying that it's, it's possible to be in a better place, that uh, a better version of you can happen. Change, more to the point, improvement is an option. A couple weeks ago when I began this series, I said I'm jumping in the middle. Uh, We looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I argued that part of the reason that they were successful moving forward was because they had each other and that life transformation happens best in community. And I I front-loaded that message because I wanted to give you more time to think about and pray about and actually take action on inviting other people to be part of your group. And then last week we looked at Moses Uh, and all the objections that he raised, because I wanted to argue that uh, change isn't isn't easier for other people. It's a challenge for all of us to do the right things, and it's just difficult. And So we were a little bit out of order. I promised at some point I would uh, head to the beginning and sort of frame everything, and that's what I want to do today. I want to make four big sort of foundational observations about life transformation about change. The first one is, um, it's possible. We can, we can change. More to the point, we can get better. We can be more the people that we want to be, more the people that the people who love us want us to be. Improvement is always an option. We are where we are at the moment, because of a whole handful of variables that have sort of conspired to place us where we are. There's a a bunch of different factors, our parents, our culture, the educational opportunities we were afforded, the experiences that we've had, the decisions that we have made, all of those things have worked together to shape us. We have all been formed by all of those factors. And we continue to be formed by our experiences, by the decisions we make, by the things that we think, do, and say. All of those continue to mold us. Now, we are much more malleable when we're little, when we're young, than when we are older, but change remains an option. I I don't want to oversell this. It's hard, right? Improvement is hard, Uh, it's uncommon. But it is a possibility. And uh, to that end, I want to read out of 2 Peter chapter 1 what uh, Peter has to say about this. Verse 3, he writes, His divine power, he's talking about God, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. His divine power, God's power, provides us with everything that we need in order to live life and to move towards goodness and godliness. Not perfection. 
Hey, we can't, we, we can't be perfect on this side of the grave. That's not the way things unfold. But we do change and we can get better. A better version of you is an option. And the first point I want to make, in, in order to understand that we can get better, we have to believe that we can get better. And so I want to just start by saying God says we can get better. We can change. Point number two. In order to change, we have to have uh, an awareness of who we are and who we're supposed to be. In order to change, we have to have some awareness of where we are and where we should be. Right? We, we, two factors. Let's take, let's take the second one first. In order to improve, we have to understand what improvement looks like. In order to be better, we have to know what better looks like. And there's lots of different definitions of better out there at the moment. If you just step back and try and take a dispassionate look at the world in which we live in, it's clear that many people are trying to be better looking. Just about every newspaper you pick up, every magazine has articles about diet, and exercise, and cosmetics, and surgical procedures that you can have, and different clothes that you can wear, all with the the ability to help us be better by that definition of better. Additionally, there's lots of reports about um, scandals in the athletic world because people are taking performance-enhancing drugs in order to be better athletes in order to have, uh, to be faster, to be able to jump higher, to be able to ride a bike longer, whatever it would be. There are people who are willing to, to move in certain directions because being a better athlete is a much greater value than keeping your integrity. There's different understandings of better. The, the marketplace is flooded with books and workshops and seminars, all designed to help uh, high school students score better on the SAT or to help college students have a higher GRE or LSAT or MCAT score, right? And and the business world has got all kinds of people that will help you become a better salesman or sharpen your memory or improve the bottom line. There's all kinds of different definitions of what success looks like. And so we not only have to sort of filter out from all the different programs that are pitching their own particular definition of better, we actually have to come to some understanding of what kind of better is better. Do you want a six-figure income or a six-pack abs or something else? What does better look like? Additionally, we not only have to have some understanding of, of where we want to move to, we have to have an awareness of where we are at the moment. And many people, um, many people don't have a very good awareness of who they are. There's, a, there's quite a bit of distance between who they are and who they think they are. Many are unable to see themselves clearly. If I, go out, uh, if I go out on a Sunday afternoon for a sale in Lake Michigan, I'll be, I'll be out for a few hours. It's impossible, impossible to get lost because you can always see land. 
if we're sailing across the lake, uh, that's a you know, 14 hour sail, there's a good 8 to 10 hours where you can't see land. And so there's a whole bunch of work that you do in order to continue to plot your course, uh, in order to have some understanding of where you are, because in order to get where you want to be, you not only have to know where you're supposed to be, you have to know where you are at the moment. Now today, with technology, GPS, this is actually much easier than it used to be. Tragically, there's no GPS systems for our life that tells us this is who you are, this is where you are, this is where you should be, this is where you are right now. Um, But we need it. And as I said, many people um, don't have an accurate assessment. There's a lot of denial that goes on, right? We lie to ourselves first. And there's a lack of humility that allows some people to factor in other people's reference points on who they are. And so um, this is skewed. The good news is um, Jesus tells us who we are and where we should be. Max Dupree, who was uh, then the CEO of Herman Miller, uh, also the author of several good books on leadership, Max Dupree is, is famous for a statement, the first job of a leader is to define reality. Well, Jesus, um, Son of God and Son of Man, Lord, Savior, King, Jesus, our leader, defines reality for us. He tells us who we are, and he tells us who we should be. And so we, we get this, we get in here, uh, we get a, a, a picture of who we are. And we're told that we started here. We were made in the image of God. You have unbelievable worth. You are sacred. The greatest thing that could ever be said about you has been said when, when you were told you were made in the image, in the likeness of a God who loves you. It's good news. The bad news is that image has been shattered. We are broken. We are sinners. And and sin has ravaged us. It's not just a flesh wound. The Bible doesn't suggest that, that sin is a small matter. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even say that we are simply mortally wounded. The Bible says we're already dead. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Unless we have repented, we are dead. That's Paul's words. In in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. We were dead in our transgressions. Not simply wounded. This is devastating news. Now, for the record, let me just note, not everybody agrees. 
not everyone is willing to let Jesus define reality. There are some people that say, that's not the way I see things. Um, In in, uh, my blog this week, I I wrote about um, a a speech that David Brooks, uh, one of the columnists for the New York Times, recently gave at the Aspen Ideas Festival, um, which was noteworthy because he suggested that we were sinners. Um, Best I can tell, Brooks, who's a brilliant guy, uh, is, a, is a secular Jew. And you don't see the word sin on the pages of the New York Times very often. The suggestion is that we lack uh, opportunity or that we lack education or that we lack self-esteem or that we lack something, not that we are sinners. But uh, Brooks was talking about a class he was teaching at Yale. Uh, he had some of the best and brightest seniors at Yale. And to his horror, he said, I discovered that they, they were uber accomplished, but they had no interior world. He said they didn't even have a vocabulary to talk about an inner world. And so he gave them books uh, to read of people who were successful, but who also had a rich inner world. And he says, I did this because we have to know who we are, and we have to know that we are broken. And then he goes on to use the word sin. Again, it doesn't happen in the New York Times very often, but this is the way Jesus defines things. We have great value because we've been made in the image of God, but we have been ravaged by sin. It's, it's not a minor deal. It's not that we got an 88 on the, on the final and we need a little curve in order to get an A in the class, right? It's that, that we flunked. It's that we're, we're in horrible shape. And this is really, really bad news. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the good news follows, And the good news, of course, is the gospel itself. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, I've used this diagram on uh, a number of occasions. Can we pull it up here? And so many of you have seen it hundreds of times, right? The basic gist is we're all spiritual beings located somewhere on this spectrum. Every one of us has had our soul formed or malformed by life and its variables. Right? The, the, the terrorist and the saint are up there somewhere between positive five, fully in the presence of God, and negative five, as far from God as we can be. And I point out that we, we can't be at either of those extremes, this side of the grave, but, but Jesus makes it quite clear that when we die... We will go one direction or the other. We will go to one extreme or the other. We will spend eternity with God fully in his presence or completely cut off from the love and grace of God. Say, we're born in negative numbers. That's part of this bad news. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all damaged. We all start dead in our transgressions and sins. We move from negative to positive numbers by the work of Christ. We are justified on the basis of the work of Christ on the cross. 
right? We move, we cross over, not because we get good enough, but because we actually repent. And at the time of our repentance, and there is a moment at which this takes place, at the time of our repentance, our sin is given to Christ and his goodness the, the, the bank account that he has is credited to us. We are, to use the words of, of Paul, the, 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 there's an alien righteousness that is imputed to our account. Okay? It's a goodness not of our own. It's foreign to us. It's somebody else's goodness that is credited to our account. And at that moment, we move into the family of God. We are adopted into the family of God. This might feel like a long process to you, and it can be, but there is a moment in time when this happens. Uh, About a month ago, I was at the Great Lakes Naval Base for the change of command ceremony. Randall Lynch had been, he and his family were here at Christ Church. Uh, Randall Lynch was the commander of the Navy base for two years, and his, his term was up, and he was moving down to Pensacola, Florida. He was due to turn over the command uh, of the base. And there's a ceremony, and speeches were made, and uh, admirals were present, and medals were given out, and all this stuff happens at this ceremony. And then there's a moment where, where the new commander says, I stand to relieve you, and, and Captain Lynch says, I stand relieved. Okay, there's a transfer of power that took place. It happens as a moment in time. Lots of preparation for it. It happened at that precise moment. We step over the line and are justified on the basis of the work of Christ alone. Point number four. I've said change is possible. In order for change to happen, we need to know where we are and where we're supposed to be. Uh, I then said Jesus defines all that for us. Point number four is the the, the transformation we're talking about now is about a partnership with God. It's not our justification. This series and the series to follow is not about our justification. It's about our sanctification. And whereas our justification happens at a moment in time and it's based entirely upon the work of Christ on the cross, the finished work of Christ on the cross, that we will celebrate when we come to this communion table in just a few minutes, our transformation is a process in which we participate with God in order to move from positive numbers towards positive five. We can't do it alone. We cannot change our heart. God won't do it alone. We are are partners in this process. And so we're told uh, to press on towards the goal for the prize of the higher calling. We're told to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We're told to work out our salvation. We're, We're told to do these things because we are partners in this process. The change we are after ultimately is a change that happens when we make ourselves available for God to change us. As you you know, um, we can be better for a little while, right? We can be on our best behavior. We can work really hard and sort of raise our game for a while. (laughs) But then something happens and we go back. Right? It's just really hard to be good all the time. It just can't happen. Right? We can't change our heart. And that's what needs to be changed. 
We can change our behavior, we control, we can control it for a while, but we can't change our heart. And the, the, the sanctification process is where God changes our heart. <clears throat> As you uh, were walking in, you may have seen that there's, there's bowls out in the lobby that have sunflower seeds. I think we were keeping them uh, sort of out of sight for a while, lest someone think that, you know, this is your, to take sunflower seeds and eat them. They always make me think of baseball uh, games, although, I mean, in, in this town, no one is thinking about baseball anymore. Um, but I set them out there, and I, I invite you to take one as you are leaving today, if you don't already have one, because I want you to think about the fact that you are a farmer and that just as a farmer is involved in growing crops, we are involved in changing our heart. So think about what a farmer does. A farmer plows up the hard soil and then carefully places a seed in that soil and then the farmer waters it and fertilizes it and, and does uh, his or her best to keep the weeds down uh, so that the seed has the best chance to grow and to become a crop. Right? The farmer does not control germination, photosynthesis, right, all that stuff. The farmer can't actually make the seed grow. Right? That's all beyond the farmer's capabilities. But the farmer can do a bunch of things that make it likely that the seed will grow. That's the way it works. Our transformation is ultimately an act of God. And, and we, can't, we can't force it to happen. But we can break up the hard ground. Right? We can water and fertilize the seed. We can do our best to keep all the weeds away. And if we do our part, God will make the seed grow. He will change our heart. That's what we're talking about and moving towards. So, change is possible. We can get better. Uh, it requires some understanding of what better looks like and where we're at right now. Jesus has mapped that out for us. And this transformation that we're after, it follows our justification, but it's about our sanctification. We're very involved in this process. I want to say one other thing uh, before we come to this communion table. I realize that you might say, well, okay, so I got the whole farming metaphor down, right? But what exactly does that look like on Monday morning? Fair question. High level, let me just give you this image to think about. When I was a management consultant, one of, the, one of the group facilitation exercises I would occasionally uh, use was to go to a whiteboard and draw a line down the middle of it and say, okay, you are where you are right now. You are performing at whatever level you're performing at, uh, as a team, as a company, as a department, whatever, because of all the things that you're doing and all the variables that are working on, on you. So let's identify them. So what are the variables that are pushing you in the direction that you want to go, right? And what are the factors and variables that are pushing against you and keeping you from moving in the right direction? Well, we can do that 
for our own spiritual well-being. We are where we are because of all these variables that have been influencing us. What are the variables that push us this way? And what are the variables, what are the factors and forces that are pushing us this way? Well, let's start here. There's a number of ways we could talk about this. We understand, right, from from Jesus, from Paul, from James, from Peter, from John, we understand that that we're in a spiritual battle. There There are spiritual forces of darkness that are pushing against us. Additionally, we are crippled by our sin. We may be forgiven of our sin, but sin has consequences. We're forgiven, but the consequences are still there. We are held back by our sin. Some people are stuck in deep ruts because of addictions or just they they can't seem to let go of, of some anger or forgive somebody or something keeps them stuck. There's a, there's a number of ways we could frame up what is pushing us this way, the wrong way. One of the ways we could think about what holds us back is by looking at the seven deadly sins, which is what we're going to do. Right? The, the, the list of seven deadly sins is not found in this book. All of the seven deadly sins are in this book, and there are lists of sins in this book, But there is no list of the seven deadly sins. It grew out of uh, the church's experience of people trying to get better. It grew out out of discussions about spiritual formation. It grew out of pastors comparing notes about what actually held people back and what helped people move forward. And the initial list came uh, in the 4th century by this guy, Evagrius Ponticus, and it was modified by John Cassian a little bit later, and then Gregory the Great took, tweaked the list, subtracted some things, added some things together, came up with a list of what was then identified as the seven deadly sins. It's been modified a little bit more. Our list doesn't look like Gregory the Great's list, but very similar. And, and that list of sins, they're not the seven worst sins, They are understood to be seven root causes of problems. All our problems, they would say, can be traced to one of these seven sins. So we're going to look at these seven sins. Pride, greed, envy, anger, lust, sloth, and gluttony. We're going to look at the things that are holding us back. Additionally, let me just point out, because I think I've been a little bit too obtuse in in this series. What are the things that push us forward? Well, I have argued that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a good spot, in part because they knew who they worshipped. They were very vigilant about worshipping Yahweh, not Nebuchadnezzar. And they were in a good spot because they were connected with each other, right? They, they had each other encouraging one another to not let down their guard. And they were in a, in a good spot in part because of this, the daily cadence of their life that included times of spiritual devotion. Three times a day they had this sort of baked into their schedule. And then we looked at Moses and I said he didn't want to serve, right? I'm a nobody. I don't know what to say. What if it doesn't work? Uh, I don't like being in front of groups, and I just don't want to do it. Right? He, he had his list of excuses, but in the end, he did serve. 
And then I have have been challenging you to actually step up and invite some people in to share, take a small step in sharing your faith. Okay, so those five are worship, connect, grow, serve, and share. The five things that we have organized this local congregation around. We've said if you want to move forward, right, you got to have these five things working. All five of them. And we'll look a little bit more at some of the spiritual dynamics that move behind this. We can get better. We can improve. We can take steps in the right direction. It's a promise that has been made by God. It's not easy. Consequently, it's uncommon. Many people do not change unless they have a crisis. And some people don't even change then. But it is possible. And we know what we're supposed to do, and we have some understanding of who we are, and we have been promised um, that he who began a good work in us is going to continue it until the day of Christ Jesus, but we are expected to be in the game, running as fast as we can in the right direction. So we're going to try and move the bar, right? We want to get better, and that's going to be the focus of our time together this fall. Right now we have the opportunity to come back to this table and to remember again that